Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. This week we're talking about something really important to those who love to share faith and who love to give Bible studies. And that is what to do when someone seems distracted. It's not all too uncommon that someone's studying the Bible with you, someone's heart seems open, but then life happens and they get distracted and they seem their interest seems to fade. And so I've asked Stephen Teal, who's the pastor of the Bray Park Seventh-day Adventist Church in the Northern Rivers of the North New South Wales Conference to join me today to, yeah, chat together about what he does and how he deals with that particular circumstance. And yeah, thanks, Steve, for deciding to hang out with me for a bit and deal with all these technical di- difficulties that we've dealt with so far this morning already. <laughs> yeah. Nah, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, it's a common thing. Usually out of the 10 Bible studies that you do, may only maybe one or two people eventually go on to commit themselves 100% to the Lord because Satan goes around like a roaring lion, it says, seeking who may devour. And, he, and when we actually seek the Lord, he throws distractions at us. Very common. You see it all the time. Yeah. At Arise, I tell a lot of the students, if you're giving a Bible study to a young person who's recently had a breakup, it's highly likely that if they start making positive decisions, positive life choices, and they're following the Lord, it's probably going to happen that their ex-boyfriend or girlfriend's going to come back. Just that happens, eh? It's almost every time. And re- and I say that when I first start studying with someone, I start talking about them about really seeking the Lord because you can, it's not about sharing information because you can share all the information in the world, but if they're not actually personally seeking the Lord for themselves, then it's going to go through one ear and out the other. For me, really, if I come into contact with a new person and they want to study the Bible, I diligently pray for that person continually and make that effort to be there every week and to make sure that they're having their own personal spiritual walk, spending time in the Word themselves. So it seems from what you said before that you t- you try to preempt this problem as a person who gives a Bible study. So you know that the devil's going to throw up some distractions in their life as they start to grow spiritually. So you're trying to warn them of that a bit or just let them know that's happened. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Recently, praise the Lord, I just baptized my brother. I at one point in his life, he was he got really down and he actually had a heart attack. He's very young. He's only a few years older than me. But I've been praying for him for so long. And after a few weeks of him being in hospital and we got him out, he was, that's when he was searching, searching for God and the meaning of life because he'd never really had a relationship with Christ. And I got to share those couple of first Bible studies, the love of God and how we can believe in the scriptures. But very quickly, as soon as he started getting better and back to work, it faded off. And I was thinking to myself, what's happened? I diligently went to prayer, just praying for the guy. And that's something that we really need to do. It's the word of God in John 16, 13 says it very plainly that it's the spirit of God that convicts a man. There's nothing we can do, but other than be the character of Christ to these people. That's awesome, man. So your bro, tell me a little bit about his situation. So you started to pray for him. What happened then? Yeah, so I started to pray for him and it was months later that he, me and him just started having a conversation and I said, I really just said, look, you know the truth now and you know that God loves you. And we started talking about those things. God will, there is distractions out there and that's exactly what happened. He got distracted with his work and so forth. And I said, when you're ready, let's sit down. And I just loved him. I think a lot of times we just write them off as they don't want nothing to do with it now. 
but life is pretty hectic and hard, especially in the workforce and you got a family to look after and so forth. But yeah, I just really just kept praying for the guy and I, I actually said to him, I said, God doesn't give up. Psalms 14 two says that God looks down from heaven seeking those that are seeking him. So sometimes it's not even about him seeking God. It's just that God is actually seeking out every person and he was seeking out my brother at this stage. And I was praying to the Lord. I just said, you know, Lord, you know him. Can you do what you have to do to get him into the kingdom. And funnily enough, my brother had another heart attack. Wouldn't believe it. And it wasn't until that time that I got to walk in and I looked at my brother and tears were coming down down his eyes. And I said, God's not going to give up on you. When are you going to turn to the Lord? And it wasn't until that point that my brother went, you know what, I'm going to commit to getting to know this Jesus. And history went on and he eventually went on to the baptismal tank six months later. Yeah. So what do you do, bro? What do you do in your ministry when someone just doesn't seem like they're going to bounce back from a distraction or the interest is fading away? What typically do you do? Listen, at the end of the day, it's not rocket science. It's really just prayer. You can't do anything. We are to manifest Christ's character and to love these people unconditionally. And I think if you show that unconditional love, because people quickly discern whether you're after them for something. We want genuine love for people. And when we show genuine love and show that you actually really care for them and care for their salvation, they'll see that and then they'll come around. And what do you say to someone who says, I've got to prioritize my time. And if so, if someone's not interested and they're going to let the distractions of the world sweep them away, I've got to go find someone who's actually open hearted because I don't want to waste my time and my energy, and then even waste their time, but trying to minister to them when they don't want to be ministered to. I think it comes down to Christ's method alone. He mingled with the seed of man and he met their needs and then he bid them follow him. So I know in one of my Bible contacts, in fact, he come from Arise. One of the Arise students knocked on their door and he wasn't really interested, but they ended up getting one Bible study. And I remember saying to the Arise students, if they, if it looks like their household is upside down or they need a lawn mode or something like that, let me know. And I'll just go around there and visit myself and just get to know the guy. And like you just said, everyone gets distracted and they're really, really busy. And his need at that time was he was so busy as a single father with three kids and he had a household to look after. And all I did was met that need. And that's what I would say is to meet the need of that person. And his need just happened to be that he couldn't get to his yard in time. So I just would just rock up randomly once every fortnight, mow his lawn. He'd ask me to come in for a cup of tea and we'd have that cup of tea and then we'd have a chat. And after meeting his need for a, a certain amount of time, I believe that they can see that you're there, you're genuine. You actually care and you want to help them in their life. And that eventually led on to more Bible studies and then eventual baptism. And it really just came down to this, meeting their need. No, that's really good. I have a friend, and I'm going to ask a different question, but just or, and share from a different perspective. But I have a friend who used to do ministry, and he's a historian now who teaches at Loma Linda University. And he used to say when he was doing outreach, he'd say, look, I'm not looking for everyone. I'm looking for people who are open, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time bothering with people who aren't open because there are going to be people out there who are open. So if you try to look for everyone and meet everyone's needs, then you end up missing the people who are open. What do you think about that in relationship to what you're saying? Does that contradict or complement what you're saying? It complements. Again, you have to have discernment. And that discernment comes through prayer and praying for someone because I've learned the hard way too, studying with people for two years. 
and they still don't seem to want to make a decision. And I think sometimes it's satanic. Satan wants to distract, kill and destroy, says John 10, 10, and he'll do whatever he has to do and use people to do that. And you've got to have discernment to know where they're at in life. And sometimes something that I learned very on from the pastor that mentored me is that sometimes it's best to, yes, meet their need, love them unconditionally, but to step back to and just wait and see whether they'll contact you. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you'd not be their friend or anything, but it might be instead of wasting an hour or two going around to visit them and doing a study is just to check in on the phone and see where they're at. And, and you'll know very quickly whether they're seeking the Lord or not. Yeah, I do really think it's important, like you're emphasizing, and I, I wasn't bringing up what my friend said to in any way say that what you were communicating wasn't right, because it's true. Like, it's you don't want to make people feel as if you were just using them. They were just there, and you've got some religious agenda and you want to make yourself feel good and successful. And so they're the way you make yourself feel successful because, hey, they studied the Bible with you or they make the decisions you want them to make. And that doesn't really, that doesn't reach anyone's heart. That makes people feel used. And and if you, I used to have a mentor that would say, don't, you're never supposed to close the door of mercy on people. They're never supposed to feel like you've shut the door on them, that you've written them off or that you've just cut them off from your, from your relationship circle. Like they're all, the door is always open. So if you do have to move on and you realize God's calling you to invest more in someone else or to try to find a Bible study elsewhere, that's fine. But you never, ever want to give them the impression that you didn't do what I wanted you to do and therefore I'm out. You didn't really mean anything to me. This was just an exercise of my religious agenda. And so I really appreciate what you're saying there in regards to like genuinely caring about someone. And so when the interest is fading or distractions of life come, not giving them a sense that you're angry with them, you're frustrated with them, being very gracious and understanding. And I remember before I was converted, the very first guy I ever studied with, his name was Daniel Mesa. Really unfortunate now because he was a solid, amazing Adventist pastor, but he's fallen away into kind of non-Trinitarianism and he's like a self-styled non-Trinitarian reformer. In the Adventist church circle, but he's, I wouldn't say that he's really an Adventist anymore. But yeah, he, he was at a, we were, I was at an evangelism series and he just walked up to me. He's like, brother, God's got a plan for your life. I see that you're on a journey similar to mine and I can see his work in your life. You're coming to faith. This is going to be awesome. And I want to just share what I believe God's plan is for your life. Let's get together on Sunday. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll get together with you. And my weekend started on like Thursday night and lasted all the way until Sunday. And I'm thinking, oh, I got to meet with this guy. I've been up for four days, just doing the, <laughs> living the life. And, and I don't know, our meeting was like at two in the afternoon and it was like 10 in the morning. I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I do? Kept blowing it off. And I was just feeling real guilty. And it was weird because I didn't feel guilty about blowing people off in that world that I lived in. I loved it. I just yeah, live my life and I got an appointment with that guy, whatever. But I just felt really guilty. Anyways, Blew off the appointment, kept doing what I was doing until Sunday, Monday morning. Anyways, go to work on Monday, get home at 5 p.m. And I remember this guy, is he left a message at, on my message. This is before the days of mobile phones. And he, so we, he leaves a message on my answering machine. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, oh, no, this guy. Because I was like distracted by my lifestyle and I was just not ready to let it go at that point. And I remember the message he left was just like, Hey, bro, sorry we couldn't get together yesterday. Just want to let you know I was thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. And he was just super gracious, didn't even act. He didn't like, I don't know, didn't make me feel 
as bad as I should have felt for just fully standing him up. And, and he was a nice guy. He was a decent guy, a genuine, simple, spiritual dude who'd been converted. And I'm just like, ah, I'm such a sleazy, dirty, filthy idiot. And his kindness to me and his genuine, heartfelt, like brotherly love that really spoke to me. And I just remember thinking after I heard his voice in that message, I thought, this is it. Like, this is it. I just can't be this kind of person anymore. I've got to be that kind of person. Like, that guy is the kind of guy I need to be. So that really affected me positively. And that goes along with what you're saying. Like, this guy, he didn't love me in the sense that he wanted to hug and kiss me all the time, but we didn't hardly know each other. But he was exercising this genuine principle of, like, unselfishness and service to me and telling me the truth, but being a bro and not being hurt by my not taking it personally that I was just blowing off the appointment that I'd made with him and messed up his day. So yeah, it's good. Eh? Yeah. You know that obviously you could probably look back there and God was convicting you to want to spend that time, but you're like, no, I don't really want to do it. And the, that guy just, that showed you the picture of love. And this is something too. I think we sometimes become like bulls in China shops because we've found the truth and there's so much information and we want to share it. But People are looking for genuine relationships and they have to see Christ in you first before they see it in the living God, in the living word. So you don't have to always do a Bible study also. It's if they're disinterested, they don't seem to want to do the Bible and that's all you're only ever going there for, then quickly they're going to lose interest because they're going to see that you're not there for them. You don't really want a relationship. So a lot of the times too, I'll just ring them up and as you have that discernment and you're speaking to them, they might start talking about issues and problems in their life. You don't want to sit there and open the Bible. You just want to listen. I think we forget that sometimes that we just need to sometimes sit back, listen, go have a cuppa with them, just see where they're at in life. And if you can mentor them in whatever situation they're going through. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just like people to listen to what's going on in my life. It makes me feel better. And maybe too, the better you become at listening, the better you are at coming up with what to share with people because it's like you get them you understand you get them better you understand more it's almost like a person there's an avenue by which you could access someone's heart but you don't know how to find that avenue until you you get familiar with the person until you familiarize yourself with their life their circumstances their feelings their perspectives and that requires a bit of paying attention and so instead of just it is, it's almost as if people yeah we can start to share without even paying attention to who we're sharing with and which way it would be best to share with that person, who they are. And maybe sometimes when a person's not interested, it's because we're not sharing in a way that's interesting to them. And maybe we're not sharing in a way that's interesting to them because we just haven't even paid attention to who they are, where they're coming from. We actually get caught up sometimes in making sure that the study's perfectly and how we present the study to them instead of just like being their friend and sharing what Jesus has done for them, yeah. you know, because it's, we always think it, it's never about us. If we've always got to turn around and go, well, it's not about us. This is actually about them and Christ wanting to love them. And now I, God has given me the privilege to share the word of God, me. And I think if you go in there with that humble type of spirit, just wanting to love them, just wanting them to see the truth. And as you pray for them, you don't need to convict them because God does the work for you. We've got to remember that. It's never about how good the study is, how good we are at it. It's usually the plainest guys that do the best work that I've seen in my time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you can get overcomplicated, can't you? Too too focused on your own performance and assuming that if it's almost very performative, right? Like you get done, you're like, man, I did a great job. I did a great job. And then the person's like, I don't know what they were talking about. It's probably one of the first lessons that I learned as I first started. I've already had a chat with you before. No one taught me how to study the Bible. I literally would grab the Bible boot camp DVDs off the wall at church, which you and Rosario and Ashrick did years ago. I think it was in 2010. And I would just watch DVDs and then I would learn those and go out and share. And I was pretty good at sharing because I had no other Adventists with me to say whether I was doing it wrong or not. And, and, but then the first time that I got invited to do a Bible study with another guy, oh man, I, I blew it. Well, I thought I blew it. But this is a good thing that I realized straight away, like we were just talking about, it's never about us. It's always about them. And if we're praying, that person will hear God's voice if we're just willing to step out in faith. And even though I know personally now that as a pastor, I really blew that study at the end of that study in Daniel 2, and I like literally missed half the study. I even forgot about the rock at the end being Christ and making everything new. He literally turned to me and said, so the Bible is real. You can trust in it. It's divine. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, how did you get that? And really, it really was. It was like, it's never about me. It's always about the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God that convicts a man. Yeah, these help. These experiences help grow us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He's a guy who plotted to kill Hitler in World War II, but he was a high figure. He was a high profile pastor, Protestant pastor. Anyways, I read his book and there's one little section where he's talking about prayer. And he says that oftentimes he would notice as a younger man that when he would pray and then finish praying, if he felt like, man, that was a good prayer, he'd like look back and be like, man, that was, I really prayed, man. Like that was a great prayer. And then he said, but then after reflecting on that itself, he was like, I realized I was like, it was a performance. Like I became a spectator of my own prayers. And he said, you never want to become a spectator of your own prayers, because if you're a spectator, then you're not really communicating to God. You're not really speaking. You're speaking for yourself. You're like a actor on a stage who's observing your own prayer performance. And then I thought well, that that kind of translates into the Bible study realm as well. How could people not get distracted if the kind of studies that you're sharing, the kind of ministry that you're performing is one where you're just a spectator of your own ministry? That's hardly inspiring. Imagine if you were in a dating relationship with a woman and it always seemed like all she was doing was performing for herself as she related to you. What does that make you? <laughs> you're just there. You're just a figure. So that you're something that this person could use to perform for themselves so that they could, yeah, it's a bit crazy. So dude, I just wanted to focus in a little bit on like an actual Bible study. And have you ever been in a study before where you felt like, yeah, this person's getting distracted. Like this is, they're not stoked on what's being shared. They're, the fire is not in the eyes. The They're just literally, you're just catching up with them. Like I've done several and one guy, every time I rocked up there, one thing I used to say to him, it says, can you please just be sober when I come around? And he was just a lonely guy, but he'd like the beer, right? So every time I rocked up there though, he had three or four beers under his belt. He had illegal things growing in his house that you probably shouldn't have in your house. And I would do Bible study after Bible study. I'm, Is any of this actually getting through? But do you know this again, it's never about you. It's just about stepping out in faith and sharing 
that word with the knowledge that you know of. And, and that's what convicts a man. He eventually went on to, to get baptized later on. It's like, what? It actually came. Satan is bound. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. It's a promise I pray all the time that Satan be bound from holding them back from the truth. I think we need to rely on the promises of God because God doesn't lie, it says. So it really comes down to when it comes to them making decisions, not looking like they want anything to do. We have to be like that great intercessor. That's what Jesus done. That's what he's doing now, interceding for his people. And he's asked us to be that character here on earth for that free will to step in for somebody and pray for somebody and diligently seek them out. I like what I've got a quote in front of me. I'm just preparing for my sermon on Sabbath. It's found in Review and Herald Publishing. Ellen White says, page three, five. 58. She says, a true worker for God wrestles with God in prayer and puts intense earnestness into the work of saving lost souls. Intense, intense prayer. We need to really be praying for these people as we're doing it and claiming those promises. Amen. Dude, there's something that I noticed over my Bible working life. What, you know, My time as a Bible worker was that I would oftentimes give studies that were too long and also shared too many different thoughts. So where a person, like their mind was not ready to hear 15 things about one subject, right? Like they were, I was like losing them in the forest. I was just getting them lost in the bush by taking them on too far of a journey. And I think that's for me, like a little practical way. If I'm giving Bible studies and the person seems to get distracted in the study, like just moving from the subject of a person in life being distracted from God while you're ministering to them, and then moving to, in a study, a person being distracted. I noticed, yeah, like I, if I could condense my study, tithe my information a little better so that I'm sharing two really good points in a 20-minute period where we're having a, where it's inductive and they're engaging with the text and the ideas and, and they you really solidify in their minds two or three moving points. And then you illustrate those points. You talk together about ways to apply that to your life. And then it becomes more of like a holistic mentoring, discipling situation rather than just, I'm going to give you, I'm going to just pull out the fire hose, open your mouth, and then just turn it on, assuming that you're going to have a nice drink of water. And I think that was something that I noticed. Because, you know, when you first converted, at least I did, I thought like everyone was like a high-level Anglican scholar or something, and I was going to have to defend every possible, from every possible angle, the things that I was sharing. So. I'm studying with some lady who's got two teeth and her husband who hasn't taken a bath in six years. And I'm like, given a 50 verse Bible study, whatever. Of course, they're going to be distracted. I should have given three texts, a, a really powerful spirit-filled il il illustration, and then loved them. And they would have been gone 10 times further. So sometimes less is more. And I think that's hard for us. Yeah, 100%. And again, that's something that my mentor pushed onto me very early on is that when those questions come, because if they actually are seeking, they want to know all the answers straight away. It's really about, that's a really good question. I know you teach this at Arise, right? That's a really good question. We're going to just focus in on this right now. And then after we finish, hey, share the questions. I might not know them all, but we'll get to that eventually. Yeah, amen. Hey, listen, dude, before we leave, I'm going to just share this funny story because I just, I've never told this to you before, but I think you, you get a chuckle, but I was giving Bible studies to this lady. I think her name was Diane. It was in the state of New Mexico, and I think the town was Rio Rancho. Anyways, 
We'd studied maybe four or five times. And in my mind, I was just convinced that I was like the dude when it came to sharing scripture. I'm like the guy. On my Bible working team, there was like 15 of us working in the city there for a six-month period. And we all had 15 to 20 people a week that we were studying with. And we were like highly motivated and really pushing each other spiritually and on a work level. And it was a great thing. God, it was like provoking each other to good works, like Hebrews 10 says. A very positive environment. It wasn't competitive in the sense like who's the greatest spot. It was like we're pushing for success. And, uh, and so I had to go to the Ukraine for five weeks because I was preaching an evangelistic series. And I left and I asked my friend Jacob if he'd be willing to continue the studies with this lady. So he'd have to give four studies in my absence. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do it. I'm like, great. Now, Jacob was like a new convert, a real kind of creative-minded guy, but brand new in the faith. So I looked at him as this little dude who, you know, may, you, hopefully he won't mess up the study, but I'll let him fill in for me, like the big shot. Who's going to go? They go, oh, don't stuff it up. Yeah, exactly. And when I got back, now this lady, Dan, she, was, she had some learning disabilities, not severe, but just mild learning disability. And she had, she's probably on the spectrum a bit, and she had this, she just communicated very plainly and simple and openly. She just didn't know how to not tell the truth. So I get back from the Ukraine and I start talking to her. How was the studies? And did you enjoy what you were learning? And la la. And I'm just thinking she's going to say, I'm so glad you're back because your studies are so much more awesome than Jacob's. And she's like, yeah, you know, it was so good to study with Jacob. I loved him. He's a great guy. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it was so good to study with him because I like just I could just understand what the Bible was saying when I studied with him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, amen. That's great. Yeah. So it's like those, it's like this, the bitter pill for the proud soul, but that was really helpful to realize, to help me realize like this woman, I'm not giving her information that's really connecting with her. And Jacob found a way. And I think it's all about what you were saying this whole time. It's about them, not about you giving a great performance in this is going to be the best study that I could ever give. No, no, no. You want to do your best for God's sake and for their sake and put in the time and prepare properly. But it's really about finding a way to communicate spiritual truth to that person, to that individual human being. Anyways, any closing thoughts, bro, before we book it? Yeah, I think I said at the start, Christ method alone, mingled with the seed of men. He met their needs and then he bid them to come follow him. I think it's very, that it's that simple. Prayer. Christ method alone every time. At sometimes people take years. Sometimes it can be overnight. People give themselves to the Lord. But we are just to do what God has asked us to do, and that is to step out in faith and share the knowledge that we know. And it's a win-win. Win for you and win for them every time. Amen, bro. Well, listen, thanks, Steve, for joining me. And thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us for all things evangelism. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless. God bless.